turn with you now to the New Testament and to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 13. Luke, chapter 13, beginning in verse 22. And he went to cities and villages, teaching and journeying, journeying toward Jerusalem. Then one said to him, Lord, are there few who are saved? And he said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow gate, for many, I say to you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once a master of the house has risen up and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and knock at the door, saying, Lord, Lord, open for us, and he will answer and say to you, I do not know you, where you are from. Then you will begin to say, We ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. And he will say, I tell you, I do not know you, where you are from. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God and yourselves thrust out. They will come from the east and the west, from the north and the south, and sit down in the kingdom of God. And indeed, there are last who will be first, and there are first who will be last. On that very day, some Pharisees came, saying to him, Get out and depart from here, for Herod wants to kill you. And he said to them, Go tell that fox. Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I shall be perfected. Nevertheless, I must journey today, tomorrow, and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish outside of Jerusalem. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem! The one who kills the prophets and stones, those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings. But you were not able, you are not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate, and assuredly I say to you, you shall not see me until the time comes when you shall say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Let us pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we ask, Lord, that you would be good to us and speak to us this once more, even as, Lord, you have often sent prophets, you have often sent apostles, you have often sent ministers to us, and how we pray, Lord, that we would surely hear you and accord honor to your word and receive it in faith this day. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. We come now to the final portion of Luke 13, beginning in this section in verse 31. And there are really two sections here. The first opens with some of the Pharisees being sent to Jesus with some news that you need to get out of here because Herod wants to kill you. Now, we cannot be certain of all the the circumstances of that. Some people say perhaps this is a a ruse. It wasn't really true, but they they just wanted to scare Jesus. But, you know, Jesus directs his answer to Herod. He's, He's not doing that in jest, we can be certain. And there must have surely been something to it. No doubt Herod did want to kill him. Lots of people did. Herod was not alone in that. In fact, the very people that were being spoken to him, many, many occasions, we have already heard, many, many occasions, we know that these Pharisees, their leaders, and their followers 
Not quite to a man. There are a few exceptions, but the vast majority of them were absolutely in the same position. They sought very much to put Christ to death. And in the end, they all would. Herod would do it. The Pharisees would do it. The Sadducees would do it. Um, the scribes would do it. Every last one of the leaders of that nation, whether Roman or whether Jewish, whether of the more conservative or the more liberal wing, they would, in fact, succeed in putting Christ to death. He was going to die soon enough. That was not news to him. It's not the sort of thing that if someone came to you and said, you need to get out of here, a group of people are going to kill you. He, he didn't, he, it didn't reach, the news did not reach him in that sort of way. It was, what else is new? Of, of course, they've been trying, he's trying to kill me. Lots of people are. And he knew that if for no other reason than merely that he was a prophet sent to Jerusalem, that's all you need to know. There is a prophet that is being sent to Jerusalem. You should have known that he's going to die. Because Jerusalem is a place that is known for killing her prophets. That's the reputation it has. A well-earned reputation it is. And Jesus laments that. He laments this city. This great city. Apple of the Lord's eye. Of his own eye. His own place. His city on a hill where... He has bestowed such good things and such blessing, and he who laments that this city, O Jerusalem, O Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to you, how, and listen to this, how often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wing. How often. It tells us something, doesn't it? It tells us something of the, the, the goodness of God, the heart of God, the compassion of God that he would say such a thing. How often I desired to bring you under my wing as a hen gathers her brood. Well, that's the title of this sermon. The title is, How Often He Wanted to Gather You. And we consider really three things. Because it tells us something. Again, as I say, it tells us something of the heart of God. It tells us of the, the patience of God that he would do such a thing. It tells us of the compassion of Christ. That this is, what, this is a thought that comes to him when he thinks of Jerusalem. But thirdly, it certainly tells us about the hard-heartedness of man. The patience of God, the compassion of Christ, and the hard-heartedness of man. So first, the patience of God. Verse 34, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. Think about this well-earned reputation as the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. A well-earned reputation indeed. And that was not one that was established overnight. And not for a single incident, was it? Look at the way it's put in Matthew twenty-three thirty-four. Indeed, Therefore, indeed, I send you prophets, wise men, and scribes. Some of them you will kill and crucify, and some of them you will scourge in your synagogues and persecute from city to city. That on you may come all the righteous blood shed on the earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. Now, I hope you don't think that that's an exhaustive list, that there's these two ones that, he, that were put to death. No, this was the A to Z. This is the Abel to Zechariah list of all the prophets 
that they killed. There is a lot of other names in between those two. That city had been the scene of much bloodshed over the centuries, and not merely of ordinary people. And that's fearful enough, isn't it? It's a fearful thing for any nation to be guilty of innocent blood. Fearful thing indeed, and all the more so if it has official sanction. It's one thing if there's murder and someone that is brought to justice by the, the leaders of that people. It's quite another when innocent blood is shed and nothing is done about it. So already that is bad enough, bad enough. But far, far worse that this blood belonged to those whom the Lord had sent to them. The prophets and the messengers who were sent as an act of patience and mercy. You see, when God is at the point of coming in judgment, when when that is in earnest, and that is happening right now, he doesn't send a prophet. There's nothing more to be said. He just destroys the place. And he will do that. It's a reminder that the day is coming, you know, when, when Christ will come, the day of salvation is over, and it, it's merely an, it's an act of judgment that is coming. But you see, when he sends a prophet to speak to his people, to warn them, to get them to turn from their evil ways, that is an act of, of mercy. And these instruments of mercy are the very ones that they have a reputation for killing. What do you think about that? You know, to illustrate just how heinous that is, Jesus tells this parable in Matthew 21, 33. Here, another parable. There was a certain landowner who planted a vineyard and set a hedge around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a tower. And he leased it to vine dressers and went into a far country. Now, when vintage time drew near, he took his servants to the vine dressers that they might receive its fruit. And the vine dressers took his servants, beat one, killed one, and stoned another. Again, he sent other servants, more than the first, and they did likewise to them. And you know how the story goes on, and, and, and he says, and the landowner says to himself, I will send my son, my only son, surely they will respect him. And you're saying, no, don't do that. You know they're going to put him to death, as they've done every other one. This city, this city doesn't deserve it. This people, they don't deserve it. How can you be so naive to send yet another one? Please don't send your son to that place. They're only these undeserving, wicked people are just going to put him to death like they've done all the rest. God knows that. God knew that about that place. And what do you have to say about that? What do you have to say about this city that deserves immediate judgment? God has already been too patient with it. And this place is crying out for justice, crying out for God to do to them what they deserve. But he didn't do that. God spared them. He did send them yet another. This time he sends his own beloved son. What do you say about such a God like that? You say he is patient. 
He is long-suffering. That is part of his character, you know. That is what it, when, he, when he reveals himself to Moses, he says, I want to see you, Lord. Show yourself to me. And the Lord reveals himself. And I can't see my face, but I'll show you what can be seen by a man, and, and he'll not die. In Exodus 34, 6. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth. He is long-suffering. That is part of his amazing character. And there is so much abundant evidence that truly he is long-suffering. We'll see some of that soon. And surely this is a great perhaps the greatest, the the supreme example of God's great patience, that Jerusalem was still standing for Jesus to lament over, that there was a Jerusalem at all. should have been destroyed long, long ago. Jerusalem was still there, a testimony to the patience of God, this place known the world over as a place that killed the prophets sent to her. We see the patience of God. And secondly, we see the compassion of Christ. We see something of his heart. Because Jesus now, he is in the position of being one who is sent to Jerusalem. That is a death sentence. He's, no, he's under no illusion as to what is going to happen to him. Said so on verse 31, On that very day some Pharisees came saying to him, Get out and depart from here, for Herod wants to kill you. He said to him, go tell that fox, behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today, and tomorrow and the third day I will be perfected. Nevertheless, I must journey today, tomorrow and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish outside of Jerusalem. Now, I should say there are many things that could be said in this. This language is, is very dense with meaning, and there are, there's much in that. Just consider the third day being perfected. And what that means, of course, as, as he has come to do this work. He's come to do this work of laying down his life for the sheep. And, and that is what is going to happen there on the cross. And what is in thereafter going to happen is that he's going to be raised from the dead the third day in his glorious resurrection body. This work has been fully completed in, in every way. But passing over all of those things, what, what we see is this statement, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish outside of Jerusalem. Because he's going to die. He knows this. He's, he will be just the, the next in a long line of prophets sent by the grace and goodness and patience of God to Jerusalem. Indeed, the, the greatest and final prophet. And they are going to kill him too. Cannot be. This is a place where prophets die. This is the nature of this place. But you know, that isn't the last word that he says. Jesus says, even acknowledging this murderous past, this murderous future, as he is prophesying his own death, as he said, you've done it before, and now you're about to do it to me, and I know it. That's why he's not shaking in his boots about Herod going to kill, going to kill him. He, he knows this. He says in verse 34, How often I wanted to gather your children together as a, as a hen gathers her brood under her wings. Did you notice something there? He's speaking in the first person, isn't he? 
How often I wanted to gather your children together. Because he is the eternal son of God. He did not just come into existence this, in these, these last 30 years as if he were an ordinary man. No, he is the eternal son of God who took on human flesh, yes, at a definite point in the not too distant past. But he is from everlasting And he is the one precisely who has been showing compassion on this people and on this city for many, many centuries. He is the angel of the Lord that appeared to Moses. He is the one who revealed himself as that long-suffering God. He is the one who more than once had mercy on a stiff-necked people. Rather than destroying them, having mercy that they might remain. Yet another generation, that is, these covenant mercies might remain yet another generation and give them yet another chance and send yet another prophet to them. And this is his heart towards them. This heart that would be well within his rights to have no ounce of compassion left for them. Rather, it is a heart that precisely demonstrates his great compassion. How often he had wished to gather together the children of Jerusalem, his own covenant people. This is his compassion. This is what it means in Second Peter 3. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Some count slackness. But his long-suffering toward us, that's what he is. He's demonstrating his compassion and patience. His long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish. Not willing, you see? This is, this is going to be the, the contrast that we're going to see, soon see with men. You see? How often I would, and, and there's that word, word would meaning that I wanted This is my desire. This is my will. How often it was my will to gather together this people as a hen gathers its brood. He's not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. It goes on to say in 2 Peter 3.15, And consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. Truly, that's what it is. That's the heart that is being revealed here. You see it. You see it in the most extreme example that could be possibly imagined of a a people, a nation, a city that had provoked the Lord beyond all measure. And he was already looking at the face of some of those who were conspiring to murder him and would succeed. He's already looking at them. And he says, this is my heart to you, children of Jerusalem, like you. How often I would have just gathered you as... A hen gathers her chicks. But do you know what the word, next word is, right? But you were not willing. You were not willing to receive that infinite compassion, that great mercy that you did not deserve. You weren't willing to receive it. You see the hard-heartedness of man. You've seen how bad they were in the past. This reputation that they had. Exodus 30, we spoke of Exodus 34. You know what happened before that? Exodus 32, and the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and indeed it is a stiff-necked people. Or Exodus 33, the Lord said to Moses, Say to the children of Israel, You are a stiff-necked people. I could, have, I could come up into your midst in a moment and consume you. 
You know what Stephen then says in the future from here? As he becomes the first Christian martyr, the first in a long, long list of people who are sent as messengers, in this case again to the original covenant people of God, the Jews, and Stephen in Acts 7.51, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Listen to this. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one of whom you now have become the betrayers and murderers. What do you see there? The unbelievable, the incredible hard-heartedness and stubbornness of man. It is illustrated in its fullest extent in all of its depraved color. And darkness. You see how many were their sins, how ripe they were for destruction, how many chances they had already been given. You would think that given all that, they would leap at this last chance. They'd throw themselves on Christ. They would say, We know that we put together every last one that is to come, and we know that judgment is coming, and we can't believe that you're here. Please have mercy on us. But no. No, he says in verse 34, you were not willing. They are. They are. They're not emissaries from the the Pharisees to say, we repent. Please have mercy on us. Receive us. But rather, the message to Christ is get out of here. Get out of here. You were not willing. This indication, this final indication of the hard-heartedness of a famously stiff-necked people. And it's not just indicative of them, you know. It is, it is of the entire human race. It's nothing, in some sense, there is something special about the case of, of, the, of the Old Testament covenant people of God, the Jews. There is something special about that because they've been the recipients of such mercy and such patience and so many good things. But in another sense, there's nothing special about that. Because this is like the whole human race, the entire human race. They continually simmer in this enmity against their maker. And sometimes it flares up in rebellious anger when any claim at all is put on them. Precisely when a, a, a missionary, precisely when a preacher, a prophet comes and says, repent and believe. And they flare up in anger against their maker, against the very one who's showing compassion to them. Because they hate God. It's an implacable hatred. This is a stiff-necked people. This whole human race is a stiff-necked people. They, in the end, are not willing to be saved. What can possibly change such a situation? What can possibly do anything for a people whom the Lord has done everything that you could possibly imagine to do? And you, and you really, again, you say in that parable, you say, Lord, please, you have done enough for this people. Why are you possibly sending yet another? And please, of all things, don't send your own beloved son. And, and Jesus' situation was, as it were, a 
a pre-written script, a predetermined outcome. It, we knew what was going to happen. What's going to change that? Well, the first application is that you need a new heart. That, that's what you need. Ezekiel eleven nineteen. this is the promise. And I will give them one heart and I will put a new spirit with them. I, take, I will take away the stony heart out of the flesh. The, the stony heart that is so stiff-necked and, and so in, in hatred and enmity against God. And I will give them a heart of flesh. I will give them a new heart. One that will not hate me, but one that will gladly receive me. This is a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit, the work of regeneration. This is what, John, what, it, what Jesus says in John 3. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Of course you can't. Because that's your situation. You're just like those stiff-necked people until the Lord gives you a new heart. A heart that says, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, because you know that's that's the the gospel. Even in even in the, the midst of this horrible bad news, it says in verse thirty five, "See, your house has left you desolate." And assuredly, I say to you, you shall not see me until the time comes when you say, "Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord." Not cursed. Not we're trying to murder him and try to get rid of him. Not get out of here, but blessed is the name. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Now that only happens for those who have given, been given a new heart. You know that you have this heart when you say blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You'll know that. And then you can be gathered. Secondly, you can be gathered under Christ's ring because that's what he wants to do. You never ever have, as a sinner, you never have to think what is the, the heart of Christ to me his heart has been revealed to you. It's very simple. If you're under the hearing of the gospel, this is his word to you. The word is, he wants to gather you under his wing. His wing of salvation. His wing of protection. And of all good things. Is that longing in the heart of Christ mean something to you? Is it met with a desire in your own heart? Do you want to be gathered and be gathered? Be gathered under Christ's wing. That is, that is what he's doing here. He's gathering his people. He's protecting us from all that would destroy us, our enemies, the world and the flesh and the devil. He is feeding us. He is protecting us. And if judgment must fall, then it is going to fall on him and not on you. You know, that's the picture, by the way, that it's given a long time ago in another picture of Christ. We see lots of things in Christ in parts of the Old Testament. And there's this, this situation in the, the book of Ruth. Ruth chapter 3 verse 8. Now it happened at midnight that the man, this is Boaz, the picture of the Redeemer, a picture of, of Christ, was startled and turned himself. And there was a woman lying at his feet. This is Ruth. And he said, who are you? How did she answer? She said, so she answered, I am Ruth, your maidservant. Take your maidservant under your wing, for you are my redeemer. See, that's what he did. He took Ruth under his wing. He was, a pit, he was the Goel, the near kinsman, the redeemer. And this is the word, this is the gospel to you, to be gathered under his, his wing you know, how sad, isn't it, when you see 
When you see those who go astray and they go far astray and they go to destruction. Or you see those who are going this way and that way and, and Christ comes and says, I, I want to gather you. This heart of compassion. Instead, they turn aside from these things. May it not be said of us. May it not be said of any one of us, but rather let us be gathered under his wing. And in that third day, I would say, never, never forget that Christ is willing. I want to reiterate that point. Never forget that Christ is willing. This is what his will is. You know, Ezekiel 34, 9 says, If I have found grace in your sight, O Lord, let my Lord, I pray, go among us. Or sorry, this Exodus 34, 9. Let us, uh, in, the, in the midst of all these terrible things, let my Lord, go among us even though we are a stiff-necked people and pardon our iniquity and our sin and take us as your inheritance. Because in ourselves, that's what we are. We are a stiff-necked people. That's what was asked and that is what was granted. That is exactly what was granted. The Lord says, okay. The Lord says, okay, he's willing. You know, that's, that's a question that was given in Luke 5. And it happened, he was in a certain city that, behold, a man who was full of leprosy. Such a picture, isn't he? We remember that sermon. That's such a picture of the human condition. Absolutely full of sin and depravity from head to toe. Nothing clean. Everything defiled. A man who was full of leprosy saw Jesus. And he fell on his face and implored him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. He didn't say, well, sometimes I'm willing, but not today. Put out his hand and touch him, saying, I am willing. Be cleansed. And immediately the leprosy left him. He is willing. If you do that, friend, there is no doubt what will happen. Okay, There's no doubt what was going to happen to Jesus. He was going to Jerusalem. He was going to die. It couldn't be that a prophet would die outside of Jerusalem. It is even more certain that if you come... And sincerity and say, Lord, and, and you, you fall on your face before the Lord spiritually and implore him saying, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. He will do that. Because that's his heart towards sinners who come to him. And he speaks this word to you now. It's preached by his servant. That's, that's what it is. He sent a prophet to you precisely to do this. It's just like what it says in 2 Corinthians 5.20. We are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. That's what I'm doing this very morning. I'm imploring you on Christ's behalf that you ought to be reconciled to God. Extending that offer of mercy. Extending the wing of salvation. And fourthly and finally, I would say this. Stay ready to die. For you Christians, stay ready to die. This is, you know, the Pharisees came and they said, get out of here because Herod's trying to kill you. You know, we could say that to one another. We could say, get out of here. Because Satan is trying to kill you. And you know what? It would be true. Absolutely true. He's a murderer. It was his design for the whole human race. He, he put to death. He was a murderer to speak lies in order to kill our first parents. And so it has been ever since. He does want to kill us. Of course he does. But he's not going to succeed, is he, until the precise moment that God has chosen for us? Just as it was with Christ himself. Yes, Herod wanted to kill him. Yes, Pilate wanted to kill him. Yes, the Pharisees wanted to kill him. The Sadducees wanted to kill him. Everybody did. But it didn't happen 
until that moment of God's own choosing. And he was not shaking in his boots because his death was actually going to be a victory. And so it will be for us. And as long as you know that, you're not going to be subject to fear. You know, if you're, if you're not a believer, this is your situation. You know, several good men have said this in different ways. But if you're not a believer, if you haven't put your faith in Christ, you're neither fit to live nor to die. And death is rightly a source of continual fear and anxiety for you. But if you are a believer, it's the opposite. You are fit to die, and therefore you are fit really to live and to live without fear. That's the freedom that God gives to you. And even to those who may seek your life, you can say, you go tell that fox. Because you are upheld by his hand. And we can stay ready to die, can't we? Moment by moment, as we trust in Christ, we know Death is not final for us, but rather is indeed a victory, or being ushered into the everlasting rest and to the glorious paradise of the new heavens and the new earth. And we ought to be and to stay ready to die. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, what a mercy that once again you have sent a, a prophet to your people, to speak to your own people, your covenant people. And your word to this people is, word, yes, mixed with some warning, but, Lord, it expresses your great long-suffering and your great compassion, the heart of Christ towards his people. That his desire is not for their destruction, but rather for their salvation. He desires to gather them under his wing of salvation. And we pray, Lord, truly, Every last one among us this day that they would be gathered into Christ's wing. That we would do as Ruth. We would come to this man, the God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we would come and say, Lord, we want to be under your wing. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would grant us a new heart. A new heart one that does not reject, one that does not despise these words, but rather one who receives these things in faith. Lord, having done so, how we pray, Lord, that we would be truly ready to live and ready to die, not in fear, but rather, Lord, we with boldness and with joy live the life that you've given to us, knowing, Lord, that we are upheld until the very moment of your own choosing, under no one else's power but your own. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.